as free market capitalism and technology expands The third world's fertile soil becomes a desert wasteland So it takes fans to demand the government provide answers When Lady Liberty has me bewitched like Samantha And poverty is one of the most malignant forms of cancer To all my black magic romances and acid rain dancers Develop close ties like Jerry Seinfeld and George Costanza We fear no man and throw jams that attack counterintelligence programs Exciting like the epic adventures of Conan I colonize minds like Zaire by the Belgians Now what the hell is the problem with the system and what it sells us I bring ancient relics like Wyclef did the zealots I saw an iron curtain called hip-hop and got it open like Boris Yeltsin Whirlwind, tornadoes in the rainforest if you say so KRS in the last of a roar like the Green Hornet and Kato Zach De La Roca brings the enraged flow But all three drop science and become the most powerful alliance since NATO <laughs> In action, cocaine crack unpacking, high surveillance tracking, prominent blacks and whites giving orders for mass slaughters. I want all my daughters to be like Maxine Waters when they flooded the streets with crack cocaine. I was like Noah, now they lower because the whole Cold War is over. Communism fell to the dollars you were grabbing in, only assault and battering in the name of intelligence gathering. Now it's calming you battling a losing fight. I choose the mic to recite, ignite light in the night. I we should beat him. President Clinton should delete him. It's not hard. The CIA simply has no more job. Oh my God, it's mother. You can fix this. We rock over mixes, not six, six, sixes. Yo, this is the message to all that can hear it. If you got secret information, now's the time to share it. Call your congresswoman, your senator, your mayor. It's time for all the scholars to unite with all the players. Rearrange and see times are definitely changing. G. They used to tap the phone. Hello, and welcome again to Storytime with the Historists, the podcast for world history students, teachers, and enthusiasts. It's world history, but told our way. We have arrived, Matt. Yes. This is our season two finale. Yes, it's a bit late. Oh, okay. In all fairness, yes, it is totally late. But let's really be honest. I think we can blame the global pandemic. The pandemic. uh, We had remote teaching. The AP exam. There was a lot going on there in a very short period of time. So I'm with you. Let's let's pass the buck. Yeah, I, like seriously, not my favorite year of teaching. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Nobody's favorite year. Oh, good God, it was terrible. But we have made it, so we're super, super excited. And boy, do we have a story for you today. This one combines Cold War conflict, decolonization, the remnants of white man's burden, and social Darwinism's viral ideologies all together. Oh, this is going to be awesome. I'm so excited for this episode. I know. You've been really excited about yeah. this for a long time. And we're going to leave you questioning your understanding of the U.S. policy of promoting democracy abroad, especially during the Cold War. Oh, what do we got then? Well, today, ladies and gentlemen, we tell the story of Patrice Lumumba. Oh, let's do it. I'm so excited for this. All right, guys. So here's the thing. Before we get started, we always you know, hit our sources, let you know where we got this information from. We have a ton of sources for this episode, um, too many, frankly, to go through. Um, we want to be really transparent with all this information, though, because as Jen said, we are going to you know, kind of you know, potentially trigger some folks. So make sure you check the episode notes. We'll link up uh, all of the various sources, and we'll also reference a couple of them from time to time, especially in part two. 
um, yeah. where we'll we'll definitely have some fact checking for you guys. All right. So with that, Jen, I think you get us started with some historical context. Oh, you know, I love me some historical context. I know you do. So. The first thing we want to do is to gain a deeper understanding of the events in the Congo in the 20th century, you have to go all the way back to the 1800s, yeah. to colonization and scramble for Africa. So we first highly suggest stopping this podcast and going back to listen to our episode of the history of Belgium in the Congo. You can find this episode. It's uh, what? Season one, episode nine, right. Society of Murderers, in our back catalog. It really will help you understand today's story a little bit better if you've got knowledge about like the rubber terror and mm -hmm. the subsequent mass murder and genocide especially under king leopold it, it, it how pivotal it was in congolese history absolutely so welcome to this podcast stop this podcast go listen to a different co podcast and then, and then come, come back. back yeah yeah <laughs> hopefully that wasn't too confusing <laughs> not too confusing at all that saves us some time so um do, 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 do. we're fast forwarded now decolonization movement after world war ii what's going on well we know that that after World War II, I mean, first of all, you can't tell the psychomaniac, horrible, evil person, Hitler, hey, <laughs> it's bad for you to take over co countries and take their resources. That's right. And then you control, like, how many countries in other foreign places. To be fair, the United States, Great Britain, and France did try to do it on the sly, though. Oh, after they did. World War II, they like, did. Hitler bad us. Good. Ish. Yeah. <laughs> There. So really, these nations run, especially in Western Europe, England, France, all these yes. nations, they are broke because of World War II. They I do think not, that's the key. Yeah, yeah, they don't have the money to maintain their colonial possessions, right. right? And you couple that along with the idea that people are allowed self determination, right? And these colonized nations are going to want their independence, and and there's very that's little true. Western Europe can do at this point to stop it. They just don't, they don't have the resources to do it. Totally true. So I'm going to always be the contrarian here. I think it's a little ironic that it costs a lot of money to steal. It does <laughs> and for Great Britain in particular, um, but also like you said, France and uh, some of the other lesser European states. They just didn't have enough money yeah. to keep their theft apparatus working at full level, and so it became easier just to unload. Yeah. Right. right. It, it less of a burden, as, as we can say. And so we do see the decolonization movements, especially start in like India mm -hmm. to where we get the division of India into India and Pakistan. And we're also going to see it then take place in Africa. Africa. Yeah. Like the, the main colonial where everything it's is owned by the up, Europeans. Yeah. It is a mess. Right. Oh, it is. And so in the 50s, we are going to start seeing decolonization movements mm -hmm. in Africa, starting in North Africa, right. and then traveling south to Sub-Saharan Africa. Right. And that's really where we're going to start to see the independence of African nation mm -hmm. and then the rise of the main character of our story. Pan-Africanism, right? And, yeah. and, and Patrice Lumumba and Kwame Nkrumah and all of these people who are taking this new ideology, right? Because... Decolonization, as you pointed out, if we're being serious about this, I mean, there's multiple perspectives that we're going to be looking at uh, mm -hmm. when we tell this story. There's going to be the perspective of like the white Europeans um, who are looking at their form of possessions and trying to hold on to that right. glory and those resources and the cheap access to those resources. Then there's the African perspective, which is like, white man, get out. Yeah. You, you know, you've, you've messed stuff up here literally for 100 years and we're ready to start standing on our own two feet. And then there's also going to be this Cold War perspective that we're going to talk a little bit more about in episode two. So, you <clears throat> Let's focus in on Pan-Africanism mm -hmm. and that perspective of, like, African people joining together, right? This whole, like, right. Bob Marley, like, one love we got, one heart, let's get together and feel 
all right. I think those are the words. I'm not a big reggae fan. Oh, I'm not a reggae fan, but I'm all about that ideology of unity. And more importantly, Lumumba was all about that ideology of unity as well. Because Pan-Africanism at its core was taking all African people, like your tribal affiliation, your linguistic right. affiliation, like all of these people take it back to its root, almost in this kind of like pre-Bantu migration sort of like context. Mm -hmm. And let's bring us all together because collectively we've got this issue, European imperialists, right. if we work together we can kick them out and we won't be reliant upon them. Right. And the ideology started to extend out to all these various diasporas, right? And let's just be straight about who these diasporas are. These are former slave peoples in Brazil, in what right. the British called the West Indies, or we would call the Caribbean, in the United States, where you have people who are at the same time also fighting their own liberation movements. I'm thinking specifically about Martin Luther King yeah. and um, the uh, efforts to um, basically tear down segregationist Jim Crow policies in the United States. And so Pan-Africanism becomes a unifying ideology that'll extend through the 1950s into the 1960s and eventually inform like the Black is Beautiful movement in the United uh -huh. States and the Black Panther Party. But I think I'm getting kind of out into the weeds at this point. So I'll uh, I'll kind of come back in and talk about Africa. Agreed. And, and, and just for, again, some more historical context, this is not the first time that we've seen um, a people try to unite under that, the, right. what we call the Panism movements. We had Pan-Slavism when they yes. were trying to gain independence in the early 20th century, late 19th century, early right. 20th century. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is when, when you want independence and you've got that uh, an enemy that seems yes. to be much more powerful than you are, right. you've got to let the the small things go mm -hmm. unifies the collective whole yep. to be able to accomplish your goal. Absolutely, absolutely. So you, you, that's this key piece that everybody's going to need to keep in mind here is that Pan-Africanism um, is all about... African people and not about European people or very importantly later on it is not about the West it's right. not about the East it's not about those Cold War blocks that are coming to dominate the world during this time period as well True. and that's going to kind of put a target on Pan-African leaders particularly Patrice Lumumba and right. I, yeah and I think the reason this is so important is um, in our our students should know this, perhaps our listeners do as well, is that remember when when the, the European powers divided up Africa, they started creating these arbitrary borders mm -hmm. that put rival tribes together, rival groups together, and then the Europeans would exploit those differences yes. to the benefit of the Europeans. Uh, specifically, like a great example would be in Rwanda with the, yeah. the Hutu and the Tutsi, right? Yeah, absolutely. Favoring the Tutsi because they were, quote, lighter skinned, mm -hmm. and it created a divide between these two African tribes. And they did that so the tribes wouldn't unify together and overthrow them. And so, absolutely. and that's going to play, that's going to play a huge role later in independence movements. But, but that's why we, that's why these leaders are pushing for pan-Africanism because they understand if we let those divides stand, we are never going to succeed. Absolutely. And, and the Belgian Congo had, you know, hundreds of yeah. different tribal groups and linguistic groups and, you know, people who living in various river basins and then forest districts and everybody's thrown together, given these different jobs and roles meant to divide people up. Mm -hmm. And now pan-Africanism is going to serve as like that magnet. Let's bring everybody back together. Let's create this unified state because that's what decolonization is all about. You get out of our country and we're going to have our own country. This is an independence movement yeah. more than it is anything else. Right. Yeah. So... So this Pan-Africanism definitely starts this anti-colonial, anti-white Belgium attitude in the Congo, um, especially a, 
among the black middle class. Yes. And this should be a ding, 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 like bells going off moment for our students. Because uh-huh. what d- equates the middle class to revolution? How are they related? Because you're taking a group of people who have experienced some sort of socioeconomic mobility, right? They've gone out of the lower class right. up into this middle class, but they've hit this glass ceiling, this barrier. And we know that uh, whether it was the Minutemen and the Boston Tea Partiers in uh, the American colonies, or if it was the sans culottes and uh, oh, nice. the Girondins in correctly. France. I know. I think. I, I think I did okay. The, the Europeans a little bit better with names and, and stuff, but not always great there. Um, thinking about when we did like Horkschild. <laughs> Adam Horkschild when we were tired. It, uh, um, I'm off. I want to All right, go it. ahead. Go back. But, you know, it's, it's um, you know, the Haitian Revolution. It's uh, the Amer- uh, South American Revolutions mm-hmm. and Boulevard. We have seen time and time again when you have a group of people who are starting to rise but hit that glass ceiling, they're going to be the people who are going to push hardest for some sort of change. People at the bottom, they're just surviving. Yeah, people they, they at the don't top, have time to think about they're it. They're taking. Yeah. They're taking. They don't want anything to yeah. change. It's the people sandwiched in the middle. And because of World War II and all the resources that mm-hmm. uh, the Congo provided to the Allies, you know, all the rubber and 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 then later like the uranium that's going to become part of the Manhattan Project and mm-hmm. blowing up Japan uh, in terms of the atomic bombs, all of those resources came out of the Congo. Yep. And so you had this group of people who become uh, socioeconomically mobile. At the same time, the, the Belgian government had given various groups of people different jobs. Right. Those people were able to start getting educated. They have this lower administrative class of people. The conditions are right then for some revolution. sort of revolution. Because middle class leads revolutions Absolutely. every single time, except for Haiti. Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. But even then, you, you, you had it's the still influenced, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And some of those people, yeah. But you're right about that one, yeah, yeah, for sure. So you you, have, you start to see this conflict, and in Leopoldville in particular, which becomes Kinshasa, the capital yeah. of the Belgian Congo, and later the Republic of the Congo. Um, there's this huge revolt, this riot, this, these protests in the yeah. street that will eventually lead to the death of 500 people. Right. So just think about, you know, uh, a large scale social movement, people out in the streets protesting. Um, This is on par with Bloody Sunday, which we just covered in terms of people being killed in the street in this very public way. And it's like that crossing the Rubicon moment. It becomes this place where the Belgian government uh, in Europe cannot come back. They've lost control of their colony. It's 1959. We've got all of the the pieces are now coalesced in, in place. And the Belgian government realizes we got to give it up. Yeah, right? we, we, we can't. Yeah, got to give up the ghost. Yeah. We got to give it back. Right, and so, which would make sense because it's during the t- the whole time period of decolonization. But I do know that in the context of the Cold War, this isn't going to sit well with everybody, no. right? Because when we look at like India and Pakistan, most people are like, "That's fine. Yep, good. Mm-hmm. Uh, ter- it was done terribly. Like right. it was. Like it was not <laughs> done well. But not well planned. But nobody was like, no. Nobody was like, no. Right. Hold on to it. But like, nope. They deserve. Let's go. Moving on. Africa was a little bit more challenging, and because Got in those the resources, yeah, in the context, in the context of the Cold War, both sides of this new bipolar world, whether mm-hmm. it was the Soviet Union or the United States resources sharks yeah that's exactly what they are that's circling circling. yep and which shark is going to move in and take over the united states views this as an opportunity the soviet union is also going to view this as an opportunity and then you got 
pan-African movement people who are like, nope, get out. It's yeah, they don't want anything to us. do with it. Because right. the United States, we see it. United States wants all na- you know more nations to turn democratic and to, to <laughs> I know, westernize <laughs> the Soviet Union, wants more spheres of influences in different regions. And so that's really what this comes down to. Who's going to gain the sphere in sub-Saharan Africa? And let's not forget about Belgium. Uh, the yeah, Belgian poor little Belgium. It, it, they still want cheap access to oh, yeah. resources. And they start thinking, like... They're the ones leaving. They're the ones who have the ability to manipulate the process the most. And they want to still have the ability, cheap access to diamond mines, tin, rubber. Um, You know, they're not a nuclear power. They're not probably looking at the uranium so much. But they still want access to the resources as well. So they're going to manipulate. And remember, guys, we got to, there's multiple views, lenses to view this event. There is the American Soviet Cold War lens, there's the Pan African lens, and there's the the Belgian lens, and all of them are looking at this event, this one uh-huh. singular undisputable event. Decolonization is going to happen. How it happens and how you perceive those actions, those change depending on the lens. You know what I'm thinking right here, and I know this is, it's, 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 uh, here's what I'm going with. Um, I'm thinking of me in front of the classroom, or you in front mm-hmm. of the classroom, and we take this big bag of Starburst, right? Mm-hmm. Huge bag. And, oh, me, you and me both, too. Um, and you just rip it open and dump it in the front of the room. And then if you or I are standing by it, mm. no one's going to come get it because it's under our control. But the minute we say we're moving away, whoever gets it, gets it. Right. Then you see all the students. And, and trust me, students can be vicious when it comes oh, to yeah. candy. Yes. Like they can. Yes, they oof. Can. Yes, um, they, can. they all rush towards this candy. And that's kind of what I'm seeing the Congo right now is yes. when the Belgians were in control of it, it was the Belgians territory. But now that the Congo is going to gain independence. You've got the, the, the Congolese student and the, the Soviet student sure. in the United States trying yeah. to rush that, in and get really it first. That's a good analogy. And, and you're going to have groups of students who are going to say in that context, you know, hey, if we all organize, we'll all get a slice of this. That's the Pan-Africans, right? Yeah. You and I would represent Belgium. We've got it all to ourselves. And, you know, if we step away, maybe we can get some access to some of those resources or materials or, or make lay claim. And then you're going to have groups of students, invariably, who are going to be like friends, something of those of kids or just friend groups who are going to say like all right when it's time to go like you know you do this you do this you do this in terms of like grabbing things or obstructing other people and we'll get a big you know stack of, right. of, of starburst we'll get a huge portion of the pile yeah. um and those are going to be your soviet or your united states yeah. those, those aligned groups of people i think that's a really good analogy to understanding what's going on here could right. you like imagine pan like pan studentism if they all agreed we're all in this together we're all gonna get some starburst all we got to do is take out the teachers first right oh my god they would take us out so fast so fast or you know if we told them though like hey listen we'll stay here and we'll give you time to organize it if we gave them enough time they would organize that eventually oh, organize yeah. a way to get it done and uh, th- which brings me back to what happened in the Congo did Belgium create a long timeline like a, a good process because in 59 they know they're going to be out yeah are they creating the environment for organization to occur or are they just going to do that thing where you said where they're just going to step back and whatever happens happens oh so they could either take you know a long democratic approach which the mm-hmm. united states kind of sort of did because it took forever to get oh, democracy yeah. right in this country mm-hmm. are they going to take more of the hey communism ended russia's democratic now Right. approach which we know was an epic level disaster um to start to right. start and right. i'm actually not so sure it's <laughs> any better but anyway um no they're gonna make the belgians leaving the congo and and the congolese 
gaining control of their country. You remember how I talked about when we were doing our, our lecture on the partition of India mm-hmm. and we were talking about, my God, could they have taken any time whatsoever to done this right? Because it was so a rushed, rushed. A little rushed. So rushed in India. The Congolese gaining their independence looks like Mountbatten's plan was glacial speed. <laughs> Jeez, man, that's insane. That's insane. Yeah, I'm looking at the outline right now. Like, yeah. so in January 1960, right? Because we had like things pop off in, in right. Leopoldville in '59. In 1960, there's the early negotiations that take place in Belgium with representatives of the the you know political parties that right. represent all the different uh, you know Congolese groups. And there's a plan that's going to be made that says in May of 1960 there'll be elections and in june of 1960 we'll hand things off so that's six months from six months from hey we're talking about maybe <laughs> being independent to hey we're going to be totally gone the belgian you know government and all our, our administrative capacity and the military and everything else that holds the state together we're going to be gone rule six yourselves months that's like akin to like telling a baby hey you got six months from newborn to, to reading War and Peace. I was thinking renting an apartment and getting a job. <laughs> <laughs> like, just, you're on your own. Like, I'm thinking of my kids, like, well, off you go. Like, Godspeed, hope it all works good, for you. Good luck. I roll yourself down the, the sidewalk and get yourself a job. Um, but there's a reason they do that, right? I mean, yeah. this is not, this is, like, we would love to say, like we said, just want you to be independent and have your freedom. We know we shouldn't have done this. No. I mean, who wants to give up the grift? I mean, they've been no getting, the, the idea here is that, uh, students, if, you, if you're not cynical about the process yet, here, here, let's pull back the curtain. If the decolonization independence process is a total failure, which right. it's being set up to be, right. then the group of people in th- that are best in position to come in and be the saviors mm-hmm. would be the Belgian government. So they could go to the United Nations or any sort of uh, NGO group, or they could right. go back to the, the government of the Congo and be like, hey... We know this, uh, like this train. We got colonists here. You guys know us. You're still independent country. You're sovereign. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We'll help you out. And in return, we want that tin. We want those diamonds. We want that. Yeah. So it's more like a, oh, you tried. Good try. Mm -hmm. We know it's hard. Let us help you. Right. And then at the same time, you got the United States kind of over there, like with Belgium, like tell them, tell them five months. Tell them, hurry up. Five months to do the elections. Because, you know, if if this works, potentially this plan of like failure for the the Congolese people, then the Belgian government could go to the United States and NATO and the Cold War stuff and like, hey, if you guys want that uranium, whatever, Uh we got these colonies, uh, these regions, you know, why don't you guys come in? We'll help negotiate some contracts. Oh, good God. Let us help you. They'll hook up their friends. Right. And so now we can sort of see what's going on. We got the Western powers essentially conspiring against the Congolese people. Yeah. Right. But luckily, the Congolese people, they got their own hero. They got their pan-African savior. And I don't think I'm being hyperbolic when no, I say that was... because he was viewed that way by a huge majority of Congolese citizens in 1960. We're talking Patrice Lumumba, right, the titular character in our story. Who is he? I don't know, but is it terrible that every time I hear... Lumumba's name, I think Labamba, every single time. Yes, yes. I'm so also... sorry. I feel so bad. Like no disrespect to Patrice, because dude, you, you Richie Valens was he's a I hero know. to some. I, they both died way too young and tragic. I know fashion. it's terrible. And every single time I hear his name, I start singing yeah, the song in my head. That's exactly. It's terrible. It's terrible. I know. 
So he, who is <laughs> who is Lumumba? So he is. Um, I mean, in terms again of a revolutionary figure, he fits the bill perfectly. He's born to peasant farmers. Um, he is going to become part of that middle class. He's going to get a, a partial education um, through his teenage years. He gets a job as a postal clerk in a rural uh, portion of the Congo. He kind of rises up through the postal service. At the same time, this is somebody who's voraciously consuming Enlightenment literature. Mm-hmm. Some of his favorite reads, A Man After My Own Heart, uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. He's reading contract. some Voltaire. He's big into the social contract theories. He's big into liberationist ideologies, but he's not looking at like the liter- liberationist ideologies of like a Mao or a Lenin. Right or even like um, Paulo Freire in Brazil. Ooh, He's, way to throw that name yeah, in. Yeah, that's deep dive, right? We'd be reading some books that's over nice. here at Storytime. We, we got some knowledge. Um, Lumumba's looking at more self-determination. I th- I throw him squarely in the Thomas Jefferson category of um, self-determination, small government, uh, create the conditions to affect change and personal liberty and then let people be the best they can be. So I would I'd throw him squarely there. This nice. is the type of man um, that he is. He becomes highly involved in politics. He's very young. Yeah, right? he is really young. He's very young. Uh, he becomes involved in the Congolese National Movement, who we're going to refer to from this point on as the MNC. He's actually in 1960 in Belgium uh, representing um, the Congolese uh, uh group of people uh, who are invited for the initial uh, decolonization talks. Uh, he will uh, and his party will um, you know, not win a plurality in the upcoming elections, but they're going to be kind of like the shot callers. And he is at the tip of the spear. Yeah. Right. He is this, he's that classic revolutionary figure. In, in every sense of the word. Yeah, and yeah. then when they do hold elections, he's made prime minister, right? Yeah. Um, and so he's going to be prime minister. The president um, will be technically the guy one step up. But, right. Yeah. Um, so, and he's, like, it sounds good. If he if he is, like, the, I don't want to say the African Thomas Jefferson because he's his own individual right, person. Right. exactly. But knowing how successful Thomas Jefferson was with our country, you're like, oh, this mm-hmm. is going to go really well. I mean, it's, there's going to be growing pains anytime you gain independence, but right. this this really has a successful shot. If the timeline hadn't been so compressed, Correct. I would totally agree with you. But remember, May 1960, he wins elections. At the end of June, there's the independence handoff, right? And this is God, like full of the pomp and circumstance. You got the Belgian uh, dignitaries come down, including the king, King Baduin. Like, Something like that, yeah. yeah. Some Lord of the Rings knockoff <laughs> <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Um, and, uh, you know, there's going to be this handoff and there's going to be much rejoicing and hands will be shook and the Belgians will congratulate themselves on um, overseeing awesome are, yeah. 100 years of genocide in the Congo, um, which literally <laughs> happens um, in terms of what King Badawin I have heard about this. This Doesn't, guy goes off the rails. Right, and so this is, they're getting their independence and, and everything, you know, kumbaya for, for the Congolese people. Mm-hmm. And I've heard about this speech um, and then read a because I couldn't believe it. I could not believe that this actually came out of the king's mouth. Like, it's one of those things where I'm like, you couldn't have been more stupid had you tried. No, it, people tried to stop him, but, it, in, you know, his aides, people who were reading the speech were like, Mm-mm. they would like cross it off. He'd like erase the cross. He's like, no, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. Yeah, even on the eve of that, the speech, people are like, do not say this. Do not say this. I can imagine someone grabbing his arm as he was just walking up to the microphone, like, please don't say the stuff <laughs> about Leopold that he's going to say. But in like true inbred, melted brain fashion, That's what he's happens. like, oh no, I'm going to get out there. Uh, I'm going to praise 
my great uncle and all the great things that he's done. Let's let's share a quote, shall we? No, if you're going to read this, you got to affect your most melted brained Belgian king voice. I don't even know how to do melted. Bra- I don't even know how to do Belgium. Mm, I don't know either, but you got to be uh, you got to be some sort of weird king here. I don't, I'm going to let you do it then. I think you got the weird king in you more than I have it in me. Well, let's see what we got. Don't compromise the future with hasty reforms and don't replace the structures that Belgian hands over to you until you are sure you can do better than we did. Don't be afraid to come to us. We will remain by your side and we will give you advice. He literally said that. That was w- that was really well done. I, yeah. So not it only never was in theater. I, I, I know it's hard to believe. It is very hard yeah, to believe. So not only is this guy praising King Leopold, mm-hmm. okay, the the butcher of the Congolese people, right. he's then telling the Congolese people, "Don't make reforms that are going to benefit oh, you. Yeah. Don't be afraid to come to us. We'll help you because you don't know what you're doing. If it ain't broke, don't fix it." Gotcha. And meanwhile, gotcha. Patrice Lumumba is like, "Nah, it's broken, right?" So, but but here's the thing: like you said, he's the prime minister. He's not the president. He's not the president. So he. He doesn't have like a voice here at this ceremony. The technically, pre- yeah, yeah, technically, one of his political rivals, who we'll get into in the next episode, we'll talk about him a little bit more. He has um, the the ability to kind of push back, and you can imagine a seething Patrice Lumumba, uh, somebody Pan African, uh, self determinist, anti imperialist, decolonization king, uh, in his own right. I'm using that like for our kids know what I'm talking about yeah. when I say king here. Um, he is. You, you just gotta imagine he's he's like come on white, president white come on president and the president is like. <laughs> Oh, thank, thank you, you for King. saying those wonderful things. Let me shake your hand and give you a hug. So Lumumba is like, all right, now I'm going to go get it. So he oh, he's stands such a man up, after my own heart. I can, oh. Yeah. Marches over to the microphone, grabs it, and just starts popping off. And he's like, which part of, the, of your great legacy are we supposed to not reform? Is it the genocide? Is it the years of theft and kleptocracy? Is it the the uh, systematic racism? Is it the cruelty? Is it the abject poverty? Which part are we to be thankful for? Because there was a time when the great people of this region, mm-hmm. right? Because it wasn't a state, no, it, wasn't it wasn't a, a kingdom. State. The people of this region were doing very well for themselves. And had you not shown up, white Europeans, we would have been continuing to do great and he's what he says basically don't look at us with pity he wants to reframe the argument oh, yeah, he's mad. we're not children in this global world to be pitied we are self-determinists we're a proud group of people who will do great yeah. things provided you leave so your offer of advice and being here to help when we need it Thanks, but no thanks, because I'd way rather go talk to Kwame Nkrumah, yeah. or I'd way rather go talk to some of my neighbors over here in Rhodesia. And you got to imagine the British are like, wait, what? <laughs> don't don't complain. And you know, for those of you at home, that's going to be like places like Uganda yeah. and, and Rwanda. That Jen talked about. You know, he's he starts getting after it like he's Locke, like he's Rousseau, like he's Jefferson. Hey, we got this. We're good, right? Yeah. Go get him. Go get him, Patrice. Right. And I'm sure this was received well. Oh, I'm sure it was. Really? Oh my God, it was. It. I think really what it comes down to is when Lumumba comes out and says this. Uh, one, it freaks the United States out mm-hmm. because totally. what the United States hears is anti-West, and if oh, it's yeah. anti-West, it means it's pro-communist, at least in the United States perspective. Absolutely. So that is not going to sit well. The Belgians are like, what this? What? 
Well, because now all the, everything's what? falling down. Like, right? they're it's so surprised. Cheap, cheap access. Uh, we're going to. Now, Lamumba is like, hey, man, we're standing on our own two feet, come hell or high water. Get out and stay out, mm-hmm. right? And, yo, this pisses people off. Like, Budwin, the king's like, nah, I don't want to stay here and be insulted. Was this planned? Right? And he, like, gets on his plane and flies away. State Department starts being really pissed off. They start sending people in, uh, you know, and, and things really start to fall apart. Lamumba. You know, he he his words were meant to inspire, but there were some people who were like, I don't, I don't know, I'm not really feeling this. Specifically, in a place called Katanga, which yeah. is going to be central to part two of our story, where members of the Force Public, which is the army, like this quasi-military group, Ugh. they revolt. They start killing white officers. They start targeting um, large numbers of Belgian citizens who are living in the region. Mm-hmm. The Belgian government starts to take their people out. These are colonists. They're technically Belgian citizens, not citizens of the Congo, right. and things start to fall apart. Lumumba's like, no, 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 no. I meant like we work together, not like right. we're going to kill people. But he's like, this is this would be like Rhode Island deciding it's going to go on its own, which is what, exactly what happens. Yeah. Right. So within a week of declaring independence, yeah. Katanga province in particular breaks away. They, they have their own governmental factions led by the military, right. by the force public. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that we'll get into that the United States and the State Department and the CIA were helping to foment this yeah. along with the Belgian government. The Belgian government, one week after leaving, brings back oh troops. Right? Patrice Lumumba's like, no, nah, no, nah, we're straight. This is recolonization-ish. Yeah. We don't need this. Get out of here. But people are coming in. His, you know, Everything's being you know torn apart. So we're one week in, and despite all the high-minded rhetoric, despite all the hope, despite all the freedom that seemed to be at the fingertips of the Congolese people, now there's this cage of violence and civil war oh, taking place as, you know, for some people, what had you know, been a good process starts to crumble. And then from the perspective of others, right, Cold War Belgium, colonial perspective, this is exactly what we wanted because now we have the vehicle, right, the Deo Ex Machina has been created right. to reintroduce European uh, people's into the Congo to try to get after them resources, right? So that peaceful transition, once the Belgians leave and everything is going to be kumbaya, does not happen is no, what you're saying. It does not happen at all. But we're going to save that for part two. That's right. So here's the thing. We said, you said this is our season finale. Yeah. Listener, you're going to have to come back next week for 10B, right? This is right. still going to be 10 because I like whole numbers. And this is our podcast. And we, we can do whatever, whatever we, want we want with it, yeah. Right? yeah. So this is 10A. Uh, we'll call this one uh, Freedom in a Cage. Uh, get us back next week when we actually get into the assassination of Patrice Lumumba, the CIA, and starting to tear down your world, right? And once again, thank you guys so much for listening to us. You can, uh, if you want to continue to listen to us, you can follow us on Spotify, iTunes. We're out there on Google, Stitcher. The, the internet has us. Um, we know we've been bad about Instagram. We're gonna get back to it, like we said at the top. Like life happened. It's crazy out there. This is a DIY podcast. We make zero yeah. money. We lose money on this <laughs> yeah, endeavor, really. um, but it's okay because we have a lot of fun doing it. Um, so we'll get back out on there on social media and and you know start sending stuff out, especially as uh, the next round of AP students are getting ready. All right. All right. So I well, think with that. Until next time, we will see you later. Bye.